0: Well, good morning, Journey. So, uh, I believe that it's this Thursday is Valentine's Day. Hey! I, I was glad because I was hoping that someone would like, stop! Because <laughs> the joke about, you know, what do I know? <laughs> Natasha gets it. She's laughing over there. So, with Valentine's Day, just around the corner... What better time to talk about love? And not just any love. Two love. Wove you. I'm talking about marriage. And so, marriage, and this is something that's interesting, is it's going to be the biggest decision that you make in your life aside from following God. Because whether you're in A healthy marriage or an unhealthy marriage will impact every other corner of your life. And the way that your home is will influence every part of you. And so for those of you who aren't married and you're hearing this word, then I would like for you to please engage it from a standpoint of knowing what to be looking for or maybe to glean something out of it that will help you along in your future marriage. Uh, For those of you who are called to singleness, then I would ask that you would maybe hear this and think of pull some things that you could give as advice to your friends who are seeking marriage or things like that. And if you are in a a good marriage, then God bless you, and I hope that you hear these things and, and meditate on them. And if you're in a rough marriage... What else can I say other than I hope that this helps, and that if you need more help, we as a church are here to help you. Marriage is the biggest decision aside from Jesus you're going to make that will affect your quality of life, and I have some Proverbs references to reiterate my point. Don't take my word for it, but dude, dude, it's a little reading rainbow reference there. Am I old? Is that dated? But (laughs) it says. It's better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. (laughs) And it goes on. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in the bones. And I want you to know that as I picked these and I found them that in my mind they're not gender inclusive. What I mean by that is this is not a searing indictment against women saying like women if you're quarrelsome or naggy it's going to just ruin everything because you could also I think have a proverb in there that like better to live in an apartment alone than with a violent man. Better to live In the tool shed than with a mean-spirited, critical man. So this goes both ways. I just want to throw it out there. If you like, if you're a lady and you're sitting there going, "Uh oh, (laughs) where's he going with all this?" Because there's also but another one that I want to throw up, and that a wife of noble character who can find, because she is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. It goes on. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. <laughs> don't look at me. <laughs> Somewhere else. And so with this, <laughs> that's my wife for those of you who don't know. Like I'm not just calling out people in the in the audience. <laughs> but the reason I bring it up is that who you marry. It's going to impact every corner of your life. And those of you who've been in hard marriages know how soul-crushing it is. And those of you who are in good marriages know what a blessing it is. And something that I want to tell those of you, though, is I want you to know that marriage is not what's going to make you complete as a person. So this is going to be where I begin, is that you know that For those of you who are single, married, dating, wherever you are, you are a complete person in Jesus Christ. And only God can make you whole and complete. And this is going to lead into my first point is marriage is a covenant agreement. And to those of you who might not know what covenant means, we in the United States, we call it a contract. It is something where we have an agreement. If you, then I. If you fail to meet these requirements, these are the consequences. That's what a covenant is. And Genesis defines what this covenant is in a way that I think needs to be read and understood. And so it begins in chapter two. And so if you brought your Bibles, go ahead, open up, flip a few pages, you'll be there. If you don't know where it is in your Bible, it's on this side. If you hit Exodus, you've gone too far. But here's what it says in chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And we're going to skip a few verses down to when after God then created woman, created Eve. And the man said about Eve, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And that's how you know they didn't have children. (laughs) Once you have kids, those days are over. (laughs) But here's the thing, is that marriage is a covenant. And it says that it's not good for man to be alone. And I had a whole list of jokes, I'll just keep them to myself, but about, you know, like, Eating canned beans all the rest of the days of your life, but it's not good for man to be alone. And so God created man and woman to be together. And I think that man and woman both have their own unique uh, traits that they bring to the relationship and things that they give to one another. But what I want to zero in on is that they become one flesh, because this is the union that marriage brings is that when you get married, you cease to be an individual and you are now a part of a unit. You are now a family. And so before we muddy these waters, I have a slide actually that kind of depicts a little bit of what I think that that should look like. Because when I say that you cease to be an individual, that's a half-truth. Because you do need to have your own individuality. And so if you look at the circles as like your wife and your spouse's life, and you have them, okay, I've got my life, she's got her life. If those circles don't overlap at all, then you don't really have a spouse, you have a roommate. But if they overlap too much, you lose yourself in the relationship. And that's not good either. So before you hear me say, you know, you need to be one unit, one flesh, and someone's like, okay, my life's all about you now, and I have no other interests or hobbies. There needs to be overlap, but not total overlap. But the idea that you're one flesh means you're one unit, you're one family, and for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother And what is significant about this is right up until the point when I got married, inside the family unit, I was a son. I've not ceased to be a son. My mom still calls me boo-boo, for goodness sakes, like pushing 40. She says, hi, boo-boo. Hi, Mom. But my primary responsibility is no longer to my mother and father. My primary responsibility is to my family, my spouse. Because now my primary role in the family unit is no longer son, it is now husband. And that's the role that I have received. So this is what we're zeroing in on, the covenant of marriage, that you're one flesh, one unit, and for those of you who are women, you have ceased that your daughter's primary role in the home. Your primary role is now wife. And you are one family, a unit. So marriage is that covenant agreement. And this is where we're going to start getting a little countercultural because there is an underpinning in our society that says that love is transactional, and what I mean by that is I have heard people say who are like influencers, which is kind of a new, you know, it's only a few years old with the internet, but they say that as soon as your marriage, like once it quits serving you, bail, get out of there. And before that, I think about, like, the plot to every romantic comedy I have ever seen in my life. One person's in a relationship, but it's not fulfilling them. Another person's in a relationship, but it's not fulfilling them. They meet, and they go, Oh, you would fulfill me. How do I get out of the one I'm in now? Or as Wonder Woman movie where the woman's leaving her husband, and she goes, the heart wants what the heart wants. Yeah. Boo, indeed. But that's this idea that we live in this culture where we say that when this quits serving me, I am out. And that I get to decide when to pull the plug. And I always laughed in my mind about how I would love with all my heart, that like there would be like a Sleepless in Seattle 2, where it's the exact same plot, but just with each other, you know, like, because where is it going to go from there? And so I'm going to say this, and this is going to be something that that's really rough, is that cohabitation without marriage, because that's the other thing that I wanted to say. is that, Did you know that divorce rates are going down? I learned that as I was researching for this. Divorce rates are going down, but they're not going down because people aren't not getting divorced. It's going down because now they just live together, but they don't get married. And so that's the new cultural norm. Because what you're saying is, well, why do we need to go through all this rigmarole and courthouse and signing paperwork and all that when we can just live together, we'll get all the benefits of cohabitation, and we'll take none of the risk and take none of the responsibility. Because cohabitation without marriage is really saying—and I'm quoting Tim Keller—and this was a book that he wrote called *The Meaning of Marriage*, and it really stuck me right between the eyes. Is that because I, I read it before I got married? And he said, "If you're not—if you're living together." and you're not getting married, then really what you're saying is, I don't love you enough to commit. And that's tough. But if you're dating, and you're not looking to get married, you need to say, what am I doing? And make sure everybody knows. And I want you to know that I'm not making a searing indictment against divorce. For those of you in the room who might be feeling a little bit of pressure right now, or maybe something, is that um, I, there are times when divorce is prudent and necessary. I'll say it. I've counseled people before, hey, I don't think this, is, this isn't working, this isn't good. Because what do you do when your spouse cheats on you? Where do you go from there? Or what do you do when your husband starts hitting you? Where do you go from there? Or I could go into a myriad of examples. I just want you to hear me that if you've been divorced, please don't hear this as some kind of a searing indictment. There are times when it is prudent. But it doesn't change that marriage in the eyes of God is not temporary and it is not self-serving. In marriage, you become one family, one unit, one flesh. And the reason this is important is to understand that in marriage, it's not about what you receive, it's about what you can pour into it. So marriage is this great commitment that you are one unit, one family, and that what you do affects your partner in every way. Because if you do have that overlapping circle, what happens when you jostle? It jostles the other one. So marriage, taken absolutely seriously with acknowledging that being stuck in a hard marriage is absolutely brutal. So in light of that, I want to share some biblical ways that marriage can work and be beautiful and godly and this wonderful blessing. And it begins in Ephesians 5. And if you were raised in a Christian home, you might think you know where I'm going But ha, we're going to start in chapter 5, verse 1. And I could have started it in 4, but we only have so much time. But here it is, chapter 5, verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because such things God's wrath comes to those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it said, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful how you live then. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, Understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, songs of the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you might be thinking, what does that have to do with marriage? And the answer is everything. Because where does a healthy marriage start? It does not start with your spouse. It starts with you. Because you cannot control your spouse. And if you think you can or you think you're doing it, it's an illusion. The only thing that you can truly control is yourself. That's the only thing that you have absolute command over is your walk with Christ, your attitude, your behaviors. You need to take responsibility for yourself in your marriage. Because the point of marriage is not to make you whole. That's Jesus' job. Jesus will make you whole. And if you're putting that burden on your spouse, then you and your spouse are going to have a bad time. You need to be about squaring yourself away before you ever start getting anywhere else. Remember with the circles I showed you earlier? You're responsible for your own behavior. And before we go to the second half of Ephesians, we need to lock in what came before it. Because before Paul starts giving instructions for the Christian home, he gives instructions for the Christian individual. Because what I read is applicable to everyone in this room. Whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're a child, whether you're an adult, no matter where you are, that what I read is applicable to you. And what does it say? Do not live as unwise, but live as wise. Seek out righteousness. Seek out holiness. Seek out goodness. And if you start there, then everything that comes after it is going to come into focus. Because to keep going, this is where he says to it. And he picks it up in in, uh, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I'm going to take a pause right there. What's he say? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's its own complete sentence. And I think that everything that comes after it comes out of this. And I think that we're going to talk about this submission business a little bit. But remember in the back of your mind, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes on Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. This is back to that one flesh idea. After all, no one hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So what I want to talk before I get into this whole submission business, i want to focus on men. I want to say husbands love your wives. Why do we need to start here? I'll give you an answer. Is that I've been a minister long enough that I have heard uh, my wife is supposed to submit to me. My wife's not submitting to me as a way to bash a wife more than I have ever had a man come up to me and say my wife is not biblically loving me. My wife biblically is not respecting, or excuse me, the wife is not saying about the husband, My husband is not loving me. Oh, I'm getting confused. So I'm just going to say, you get where I'm going with that, is that I have had men come up and say, my wife's not submitting to me the way the Bible says, but I have rarely had a woman come up to me and say, my husband is not loving me the way the Bible says. So I want to start with it. Husbands, love your wives. I mean, I have that bold, italicized, husbands love your wives. We're going to start there. Because I want you to know that I've heard of submission being manipulated and used to justify all manner of wickedness. Even at the point that even though submission to husbands comes first in the order, we're going to start with the idea of loving your wife. Husbands, love your wives. Love them as Christ loved the church. How did Jesus Christ love the church? How did he go about that? He gave himself up for it. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So if you're a man and you're in a marriage and you're taking this seriously, and you're like, okay, i got to love my wife. How do you do that? Is it by thumping her with verses about submission? No. It's by loving her, caring for her, being good to her. When he talked about the obscene joking and there's no room for that, like one of the things that I tell married couples is that men have a way that we talk with one another. I don't talk to my wife the way I talk to my bandmates. I don't talk to my wife the way I talk to guys at the shop. Men can be pretty coarse with one another. Don't treat your wife like that. Because that's not what it means to love her and to be good to her and to look out for her. And this is something that for men, we have the greater responsibility in these roles. We have the greater responsibility because as men, we are called the head of the home. Where are we leading it? Are we leading it to goodness? Jesus Christ leads us to green pastures and still waters. Are we leading our families into that? Because when we get to heaven, and those of us who are married men, I don't think that God's going to say, all right, did you wrestle your wife into submission? I don't think that's going to be the question. No, we love our wives in a way that's going to build them up. I'm a human man. I know how difficult it is. But our love for our wives will shine the brightest in adversity. Adversity. It's easy to love someone when they're doing what you want them to be doing. But what do we do when our spouses are doing something we don't want? Well, we love on them. And we love on them a way that's going to make them love God even more because that's marital godly love. So in light of that, wives, submit to your husbands. The man is the spiritual head of the home. I don't think that this is something that can be abdicated. I don't think that it's something that can be switched on and off. For example, I have a good friend that um, he's sort of a passive fellow. That he's a dear friend of mine, and in the group, he's the guy that if you say, "Hey, man, where do you want to go eat?" he goes, "I don't know. Where do you want to go eat?" And he married a very decisive woman because they complement one another, and so she's the one who determines what they watch on television. She's the one who says where they're going to go eat, and by and large, she's kind of making those decisions. And he came up to me and he said, man, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with like, I don't mind this, but it says I'm supposed to be the spiritual head of the home and I'm worried that I might be sacrificing something. And I said, buddy, what you watch on TV and what restaurant you go to does not, <laughs> that's not spiritual headship. Are you praying more? Are you reading the word more? Are you ensuring that your home is pointed towards God and not the world? That's what spiritual headship is. It's not who's doing the finances. It's not who's bringing in the bigger paycheck. It's are you leading your home so that the spiritual presence in that home is godly? Are you pointing your wife and if you have children your your children to Christ? Because that's your responsibility, and it's the greater responsibility. Because if you're not leading your family by example as a husband, if you're not being the example, then you're depriving them of what they need you to be. So now, women, now that I've said all that about women, submit to your husband's, It's a lot easier when you know that your husband is trying to lead you closer to God, isn't it? It's a lot easier to submit to your husband when you know that he's pursuing righteousness and godliness for your home. It's where it says, don't nag your husband. Don't be quarrelsome with him. Because I can tell you that when a man comes in and he's put in a long, hard work day and he comes home, And the children are running around yelling and screaming in circles and it's all bad. Like the last thing he needs is to have, you know, walk in and like, I need you to do this, 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 and this. (laughs) I'll get right on it, sweetheart. Can I take my boots off? We, We don't need that. Don't be quarrelsome with your husband. Build him up. Support him. Because when you're both working together in that, then your home will have harmony. More than harmony, it will be gifted with God's presence. It will have joy and laughter and goodness. And that's what it means that for the wife to submit to the husband is to allow him to lead you into still waters. So women, submit to your husband. Respect your husband. Don't try to control your husband. Don't try to control the home. Allow him to lead the family. Because if your husband is following God and you are following your husband, then you're both following goodness. And it will be a rich blessing to you both. And I wrote in here the roles of children because this is an important subject to bring up that I really want to. if We're going to talk about the roles of the home. um, Children are along for the ride. They're not the center focus of your house. They shouldn't be the center focus of your house. I love my kids. I love them dearly. And I am so blessed in what I get to do that I remember when I held Annabelle and I was looking at her, she's just a little baby. I've been a dad for like three days and I felt like I had this epiphany from God where he said, you do not control this person but there is no one on the planet on whom you won't have greater influence on. So yeah, I'm preparing them because I'm hoping like leave the the nest baby bird. I want Saturdays with my wife back. (laughs) But I love my children, but they're not the center of the home. My wife and I are the center of the home. That's the center, our relationship. And the kids come second to that. So you know, parent, or children submit to your parents, but parents don't exasperate your children. But I think the parents who pour into their kids and they make them the center and the focal point of the house and they're pouring all their energy and all their focus and all their attention into their children, those are the marriages that break up when the kids go to college. Don't invest in your children's relationship more than you're investing in your spouse. Because your spouse is the one who's still there when the kids go to college. And all these things, in all of it, it begins with you and your discipleship with Jesus Christ. Because if you want to be a good husband, you better make sure you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you want to be a good wife, you make sure you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you want to be a good son and you want to be a good daughter, you better be a good disciple of Jesus Christ. Because no matter where you are in this sermon, that's what's going to be the linchpin to its success or failure. So husbands, are you squared away? Can you say that in my life there's not even a hint of sexual immorality? Can you say that you are here to love and serve your wife? Or are you trying to make her a glorified maid? Through your spirituality, is your wife growing in her relationship with the Lord? Or is she dragging you to church? Because as a man, you're setting the pace You're setting the spiritual pace of your home. Are you leading your family to God or are you leading them off a cliff? This is the hardest question. Are you a man worth your wife's submission? Are you worthy of that? And, women, let me ask you are you following your husband or are you trying to control the house? Are you allowing your husband to lead? Or are you trying to sabotage that? Are you trying to control, not keep it together, but to rule over it? And if that answer is yes, then you are harming it. If you are nagging your husband, if you are trying to control your husband, you are harming your home. Men need your love desperately. They need your respect, desperately. Don't withhold that from them. Because you are one flesh. And what you do to your spouse, you do to yourself. So, marriage is serious business. And why I started with the idea of covenant in one flesh, one of my favorite things to do in premarital counseling these fresh-faced you know, kids and they're, they're fired up and their premarital counseling has less to do with them like should or shouldn't we get married. It's generally like we're going to get married and this is part of the process. Is One of the things I love is to tell them, just point blank, fold my hands on the table and say, I want you to know that when you tie that knot, the cage is made of steel. <laughs> and I watch their little faces. and there's a blessing in that though because here's the blessing is that when both parties understand that this is a permanent arrangement then you better make an agreement that you're going to make it the best you can in the same way that if I was on a submarine I would want to make as many friends as I could you know like when you're hot bunking with a group of people yeah, better to have harmony than quarrel in there. Such is with the home. You're in this for the long run. So if you got to work on something, work on it. Don't allow yourself to deteriorate, to just become roommates of convenience rather than an intimate marriage. And that's the goodness of marriage too, is that we're not disposable. How much of our culture is disposable? But not your marriage, not your spouse. No, that's the person that you cling to and say, even if the whole world fell away, I'm here. That's the goodness of marriage. So, if you can agree that your marriage is permanent, And you can agree that you are one flesh and what you do to one another impacts yourself. And you can agree that discipleship starts with your individual walk with Jesus Christ, whether you're male or female, whether you're husband or wife. And you can then agree to the terms and conditions that, men, you're supposed to lead your family. You're supposed to lead them to godliness and goodness and righteousness. And women, if you can agree to allow your husband to lead your family in goodness, goodness, and righteousness... It's going to throw so much fuel into the fire of your marriage passion and create a home that is a joy to walk into, a pleasure to be in. Culture says marriage will make me happy. Christianity says marriage will make you holy. Culture says spouses are disposable. Christianity says for better or worse. Our culture says we need to be independent of our spouses. But Christianity says you are one flesh. I could go on and on and on and on and on, but this is a good place to to wrap it up. And so let's pray. Let me pray over your homes, if you would indulge me. Father God, we thank you and bless you that you have given us a roadmap to peace. I thank you that you have given us ideas and knowledge on how to live, not as unwise, but as wise. And Father, I pray a blessing over the marriage of everyone who hears this. Holy Spirit, I can't begin to understand what you know about our hearts. I can't begin to understand what you know about us and where we are and what we're doing. But I do pray, God, please bless every marriage. Bless every person who's been wounded by marriage, that they would be healed. Bind us together, God, as one people, marching towards your kingdom and your will in all things. I praise you, Father, Son, Spirit. Amen.